You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your only daily podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about a couple arms that have stood out and have continued to get better. It's Dane Dunning and Ryan Weathers. I also want to go through a few bats that have been impressive on the rookie side of things. It's been a little bit of a mixed bag, as it always is with rookies. You're going to have the overachievers with the question of whether it's sustainable. You're going to have some of the guys that had loftier expectations that just aren't quite getting it done. And it's kind of a buy or sell if you think some of those guys are going to be able to sustain what they're doing. And if you think some of the guys that were struggling are going to be able to figure it out. And that's just the unpredictability of baseball. I want to talk about that a little bit. But a good bulk of this episode will be focusing on the improvements from Dane Dunning and Ryan Weathers. Weathers is a little bit more clear because he's seen his stuff just tick up massively with the fastball velo rising a good amount. The slider is sharper and he always had the great command. Dane Dunning always had solid stuff, but the question was always going to be, was his command good enough to get the most out of his stuff? And Dunning has looked just the part so far this year. So I'm looking forward to talking about those two guys. I'm going to start with Dane Dunning because Dunning is someone that I've always felt like I've been higher on than others. And I can understand some of the hesitations to be all in on a Dane Dunning. The fastball is not really going to light up the radar gun, but he's been locating it way better, which was always the big question for him. He didn't have major command issues, but his stuff was just always above average, not elite. And if you have above average stuff, you're going to need to be pretty good at commanding it to have success at the major league level and the level of success that many were hoping to get out of Dane Dunning. Dunning has long been that higher floor type of prospect just because of his ability to mix it up with the sinker, slider, change up, and even mixes in a curveball very rarely, but will mix it in on occasion and a cutter, which is just pretty wild to have that many different pitches at his disposal. The cutter is more of a manipulation of the slider where it's just a bit harder and firmer, doesn't quite break as much. The slider stays more at 80 miles per hour, while the cutter is not far off of his sinker at about 87 miles per hour. The sinker more in the 90 to 92 range, averaging out at 90.4. But he's able to just offer so many different speeds now, and the curveball is just a little bit of a change of eye level to certain hitters. He likes to float it in to steal strikes on occasion to lefties. But I just love the diversity in his arsenal. The fact that he's able to be more flexible and use it in different ways and use pitches in different sequences has been a big reason why he's had success. But the most telling thing from Dane Dunning and some of the figures that I think are the most just ideal things you could see from a pitcher building off of a rookie season, though he's still technically a rookie this year, is that the strikeout rate that went up 3%. That's always good, right? But if the strikeout rate goes up while your walk rate drops, there is no negative way to spin that, right? That's as good as it gets. That's exactly what you want to see out of every young pitcher. And that's what he's done. He's put the walk rate down from 9.2% nearly to a third at 3.4%, which is pretty elite on the major league comparison of things. That's the top 10% of the league. And doing that while making your strikeout rate rise is just a sign of better stuff 
better sequencing and the fact that he is just able to get more swings and misses and keep hitters off balance. The other side of it too is that he's able to lean on his best pitch more, his slider, which has always been a plus pitch even through the minor leagues now that he's getting ahead of hitters more. He was falling behind guys quite a bit at times in the minors and that was when he got into trouble last year at the big league level as well. So the command improving, just more pitches in the strike zone, but the fact that you can throw more pitches in the strike zone but get more swings and misses, that is always a great sign. And the slider is playing up more this year because of the fact that he is getting ahead of hitters and being able to use them in more ideal counts. The slider now, opponents hitting 091 against it with a 37% whiff rate. And the biggest change for him overall is that he's phased out that four-seamer just going to the sinker more frequently. Dunning used to lean on that four-seamer more against left-handed hitters, but it just wasn't a good pitch for him. Hitters were 364 against it last season. He did get some good swings and misses or swing and miss numbers on it. Overall, being able to blow it by some hitters and keep them off balance with the changeup as the change of speed for him, but he's having the same success this year with the changeup and sinker combination and just throwing the sinker way more. So instead of throwing the fastball, the four-seamer, which he was throwing 21% of the time last year, he scraps that, and now the sinker usage is up from 39% up to all the way to 65%. I will say, I don't know if we can expect Dunning to keep the ERA in the ones as he has just been off to a ridiculous start, but we are seeing a blossoming pitcher and someone that just continues to get better each time we see him. It was a great trade for the Rangers. They needed to get rid of Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn's a great arm, but he didn't really serve the Rangers any purpose. Now they get a younger arm at 26 years old and a high floor guy that even without these improvements that he's made would still have been a shoo-in to be a middle of the rotation, back end of the rotation, our worst case scenario. Now you're looking at a guy that is a solidified number three moving forward, in my opinion, and has a chance to be even better than that as he continues to just hone in on his stuff. The thing too is, even though the fastball or the sinker is in the low 90s, the stuff is just played up big time this year. 83rd percentile in chase rate, 66th percentile in strikeout rate. He's been elite with the command, as we alluded to earlier, in the 90th percentile in walk rate, and just about any other baseball savant statistic other than hard hit percentage, which is something he's always going to be a little bit susceptible to. He's going to give up hard contacts from time to time, especially as some left-handed hitters who like it down are able to square up that sinker. He's been great down in the zone, and that's going to be the challenge for him. That's going to be the one thing, is now that he's not throwing the four-seamer really at all, how is he going to be able to pitch up in the zone at times to change eye levels? And is he going to be able to do that at all? He's been so effective in the bottom part of the zone that it's fine. I think he's overall going to have success, but that could be where he gets touched up from time to time. The ground ball rate has jumped by 3%. He's also getting a lot more lazy fly balls and infield fly balls because of the ability to keep hitters off balance. And that slider, I mean, that is a really good pitch. Scouts were giving it a 60 grade. Now that we're looking at it, I know it's at the major league level now, but if he were still a prospect, I'd put a 65 to 70 grade on that slider. It's looking that good. And he's able to throw it to righties and lefties. While it's much more effective to righties, he's still comfortable back-legging left-handed hitters, and that makes me even more optimistic on that pitch moving forward. Next up is Ryan Weathers. And Ryan Weathers has been a godsend for the Padres so far this year because they've been just beat up by injuries in that rotation. 
with Clevenger out. We saw Morahone go down with Tommy John surgery now. And Nelson Lamette, who is also now potentially going to miss some time with a forearm strain. And anytime you see forearm pain or forearm discomfort, that is always scary and points towards a potential elbow injury. Don't want to speculate too much on what that injury could be, but forearm is always a bit scary. So Weathers has been hurled into a pretty important role now where he's going to need to make a lot of starts and be a big part of this rotation moving forward. And we might even see Mackenzie Gore at some point soon too. This is where the Padres' ridiculous depth is now coming in handy. And we were, when we were heading into this season, we were saying, you know, or at least I was, what are they going to do with all these arms? There's so many guys in this rotation or that could be in this rotation. There's going to be some really overqualified arms in the bullpen and some pitchers that may be big league ready that are going to be kind of held up in the minor leagues or at the alternate training site. And that has not really been the case now because of all of those injuries. So Ryan Weathers, I've talked about his progression quite a bit on this podcast. And if you're new, this is something I'll go over really quickly. And then we'll talk about what he's doing really well in this year so far. After making now five appearances, he's made two starts and he's picked up a win and a save. So he's been somewhat of a Swiss army knife for the Padres so far this year. But again, he's going to be more more so into that rotation now as they need some help. When he was initially drafted, he's a polished arm. He was really just a polished arm that throws strikes, a high probability back end of the rotation lefty that can eat innings, and they were hoping, the Padres, that they could get maybe a number three or number four out of him. I, I really don't think that they had much more of an expectation. I thought he was more of a safe pick. Maybe the Padres saw this coming, and if they did, then, I mean, they have a crystal ball because I had no idea that Ryan Weathers would have this kind of uptick in his stuff. His stuff has just gotten so much better. His fastball velocity has jumped by four or five miles per hour. And with that, everything else has jumped too. And now his pitches are much, much more effective. But before that, he was a guy that really just learned how to pitch because his stuff was an elite. And he was able to get more out of it by locating, mixing it up. And with the fastball, slider, sinker, and changeup combination, he was able to just mix those pitches up and get hitters out. And that is what is impressive about Weathers now is because as the stuff has gotten better, he already had that pitch ability. And that's what I love about George Kirby. And that's why I always push George Kirby as a guy that I really think is going to blow up this year and push his way all the way up to the top of the minor leagues and potentially to the big leagues at some point this season if the Mariners remain competitive. Any guy that has good pitch ability and then sees the stuff tick up as a late bloomer, those guys are, in my opinion, some of the most high probability big leaguers that you're going to find. And now Weathers averaging right around 95 miles per hour on the fastball. He locates it well. Opponents hitting just a buck 20 against it, and he's only given up one extra base hit in 25 at-bats against the fastball. The slider has been lights out for him, has not given up a single hit in 17 at-bats with seven strikeouts. That was something that he didn't really have before. He had the slider, but it wasn't this really just swing and miss pitch, this pitch that he could rely on to put guys away that now he is all of a sudden. The changeup has been way more effective, though I'd like to see him use it more. And the limited number of times that I've seen him use it, he uses it more when he's coming out as a starter. When he comes out of the bullpen, he's more just fastball slider at a higher velo with more effort because he only needs to go an inning or two. 
But now that we're seeing him potentially out of the rotation, the big key is going to be how does he utilize that third pitch, that changeup. With the pitchability that he's already demonstrated in the past, that changeup is going to be an asset for him. And now that he has the fastball at a higher velocity, he has more separation at about eight or nine miles per hour between the two pitches and is able to locate the four-seamer up in the zone, locate the sinker down in the zone, and use that changeup off of those two pitches, he's going to be really tough to hit as a starter. He's going to continue to do what we've seen him do, and I think he's the type of guy that will be even better as a starter because of the aforementioned pitchability. He was good as a reliever because now we've seen this stuff tick up so much that he's in the upper 90s at times when he's out of the bullpen, and the slider is sharp with late bite, but now we're going to see a complete pitcher similar to what I was saying with Dane Dunning, but even maybe even more so, that is able to use his just well-rounded ability to pitch to his advantage. And he's seen a big jump in his stuff more so than Dane Dunning, who is more so seen on the flip side, more of an ability to pitch that was improved for him lesser than the stuff that was always there. So Weathers now racking up a 30% K rate. I'd like to see the walk rate drop a little bit. I think some of that has to do with the fact that he was coming out of the bullpen, higher effort. You walk a guy in one inning, it affects you more in the larger numbers than if you walk a guy in one of your six innings or a couple guys in one of your six innings. I think that walk rate will even out from 9% as he makes more starts moving forward. But he's going to be somebody that the Padres are going to lean on. And he's kept some really good lineups in check so far. And he's had a lot of responsibility kind of thrown his way. He's had to go now two outings against the best lineup in baseball with the Dodgers and has absolutely kept them in check. He went three and two thirds the first outing against the Dodgers without giving up a run, struck out three, then had to pitch against them six days later. So they just saw him and guess what? It didn't help them at all. He was even better. Goes five and two thirds, one hit, one walk, six strikeouts. This is the Ryan Weathers that I think we're going to get used to here. And let's just hope he stays healthy because there seems to be some sort of a weird trend going on here with Padres homegrown arms going down with injuries. Outside of Clevenger, we've seen a lot of other Padres homegrown arms deal with some arm issues. So hopefully Weathers can stay healthy for the Padres' sake, for his sake, and he has just looked so good. And I'm really excited to see how he continues as we move forward. I don't know how many times he's going to have to pitch against the Dodgers, but the fact that he's been able to keep them in check is something that is definitely worth being proud of if you're a rookie in this game that has kind of gotten hurled into a situation here and has hardly pitched that much in the minor leagues. Like It's easy to forget that he didn't pitch that much in the minor leagues. He was an aggressive promotion last year because of all of the improvements he showed at the alternate training site and because of his stuff just getting so much better. And now you almost forget that he hardly pitched in the minor leagues because he shows so much polish out there. I'm going to talk about the offensive side of things and some of the bats kind of a buy or sell the performances so far far as we fly through some of the best offensive prospects and how they're doing so far as rookies at the major league level. Quickly a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has 18 delicious flavors. They're all covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and great for a keto diet. My personal favorite is peanut butter and a quick little flavor profile on peanut butter, 19 grams of protein, only 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, that's it, and only 5 grams of net carbs. A look at some of the other flavors that Built Bar has to offer. You got caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, salted caramel, double chocolate, and many, many more just awesome flavors to choose from. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. That's LOCKED15, LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order 
at BuiltBar.com. So let's talk a little bit about the bats. And this is where it's been a little bit less predictable with some of the players that have been performing and not performing. And there are some things where... You know, some guys have, I think, been too aggressively promoted, and that is what we've talked about in the past a little bit with just, I don't really know why some players have been promoted to the big leagues this year. It's it's all been really weird with the no minor league season last year. Maybe some guys were showing things at the alternate training site that led teams to believe that they were ready, like Andrew Vaughn, like Luis Camposano. But Camposano at least put up some really, really good numbers at high A, whereas Andrew Vaughn didn't have that great of numbers at any level in the minor leagues so far in his professional career, showed good things at the alternate training site, but I thought it was a little bit aggressive, and I think the White Sox have now realized that it was very aggressive to have him up there. We've seen some of the guys that were kind of expecting to struggle at times struggle, and then there's been some pleasant surprises. Akil Badu who's been a bit of a roller coaster so far, and that's somebody I wanted to start with because he starts super hot, and I mean, as hot as anybody in the game, and then tails off quite a bit. And I talked about a couple episodes ago why the tail off wasn't a big concern for me. Oakland had some good pitching matchups for a guy like Badu who struggles against the changeup. They had two very good changeup pitchers, and then they had a couple lefties against him as well. He goes 0 for 11 in that series, and all of a sudden people are like, oh, here goes Badu regressing back to the mean. I don't think so. I do have some concerns of the fact that Badu has not walked at all, but he has settled back in a little bit and put together a pretty good week last week after that tough series against Oakland. Overall, the stats are still pretty solid. 295 batting average, the 304 on base is not really going to fly. I'd like to see him walk at least a little bit more than that, but an overall 1,054 OPS behind the four home runs, two triples, and four doubles that he has put up in what is a pitcher's ballpark in Detroit. Badu is going to go through it at times this year, but I do think that I am pretty sold on what we've seen from him so far. Not that he's going to be a 300 hitter, but he should be able to hit in the 250s to 270 range for some power, steal some bags, play some good defense, and hit a lot of doubles and triples. That's just his game. He's going to do a lot of different things and fill the box score up in a lot of different ways. When we look at some of the other surprising figures, I think one of the most surprising things and not quite talked about enough things so far this season has been the fact that Bobby Dalbeck doesn't have a home run yet, right? Like if Bobby Dalbeck is good for one thing, it's for home runs, home runs and strikeouts. But he actually has not been that three true outcome guy quite as much this year. I've been at least somewhat satisfied with the fact that he's making more frequent contact. But again, like Bobby Dalbeck is never going to be a contact guy. He's going to strike out quite a bit. He's still whiffing as much as anyone in the game. He's still in the bottom of the league when it comes to strikeout rate, though he is making more consistent barrels. He's barreling the ball up as much as anyone in the game. He's showing a little bit more of his athleticism than people had expected, which is all good stuff. But at the same time, Bobby Dalbeck is born to do one thing, and it's hit home runs. And as long as Bobby Dalbeck isn't doing that, he's not really getting the most out of his value. He's a 265 hitter right now, which is higher than I expected. And honestly, I was expecting some ridiculously high strikeout rates. 34% is lower than I thought it would be. I, I was putting a bet on him being over 40% at some point this year and consistently sitting at 40% by the All-Star break. That was something that I was somewhat almost expecting from him. So he's been a bit better with the contact. Not that 34% strikeout rate is something to write home about. 
and he has had a little bit of bad luck where he had a triple to like the 420 part of Fenway Park right in the corner there. He's hit a few balls that could easily be home runs. At the same time, though, he was hitting a home run every other at-bat in spring training, and I think he's been trying to make more of a focus on making consistent contact, and that's great. But at the end of the day, Bobby Dalback, even when he's focused on making more contact, that's going to cut the strikeout rate down a little bit. But if it's going to compromise your power production to the degree that it has, then it's not worth it. Because if you're going to put up a 708 OPS and strike out 34% of the time, you're kind of just missing your true identity there. You're kind of stuck in the middle. And Dalbeck's going to need to just try to tap into some more power there, hit some more home runs. I think he will, but he's still trying to feel out what kind of approach he wants to have. I would still be incredibly encouraged that he's in the top 5% of the league in barrel percentage. He should have more home runs too. There's a couple balls that just didn't quite get out. His expected slugging is still really high and I think it's all going to even out. So on the buy or sell spectrum, I am selling Dalbeck's lack of power so far. He's going to get back into that power and he's going to be just fine. So I'm looking forward to seeing Bobby Dalbeck start to do what he does best again, which is running into baseballs. And overall, I would come away pretty encouraged that he has been making more consistent contact, though the strikeout rates are always going to be really high for him. Dylan Carlson, another guy that is starting to put it together at the plate in a lot of different ways. And I said going into the year that I thought Carlson was going to have a big year this year, and he's been a little shaky at moments, but he overall has been really strong, and you've got to be pumped if you are the Cardinals. He's been consistent from both sides of the plate, really not losing production at either side. He's been able to hit for a bit more power, three home runs in the 57 at-bats, but he's striking the ball pretty hard. He's not chasing nearly as much as he did last year. He's hitting the off-speed stuff better as well, which was huge because from the left side, he was struggling against the changeup. He's been better against it this season. That's something to watch especially when he bats on the left side of the box, but I've been very impressed by the whiff rate dropping as much as it has and the power production that we're seeing from him in a year where power production's been a bit inconsistent across the entire game with whatever's happening with the baseballs, certain teams humidifying baseballs, that all needs to be sorted out and rectified and baseball needs to figure out what its identity is going to be. You can't say you want more offense, but then alter, potentially alter the baseballs to make them not go as far and then not have the DH in the universal aspect, but then also talk about moving the mound back a foot, which I'll lose my mind about and I can't even talk about until they start making that go a little bit further down the line. I'll start talking about it because I don't even want to acknowledge it as a potential uh, opportunity for baseball. What I will say about that, though, is it's incredibly unfortunate that players trying to get back to the major leagues have to deal with being the guinea pigs for all of these stupid rules that baseball wants to test out. Like These are legitimate players with legitimate careers trying to get back or trying to get to major league baseball, and now they're basically playing a different game and pitching from 61 feet 6 inches or having to hit from a further mound, which that might be easier, but then once you get an opportunity elsewhere, you're going back to a 60 foot 6 inch mound and baseball is going to be so much harder again. (laughs) Imagine you're hitting from 60 feet 6 inches your whole life and then all of a sudden you go and somebody's thrown from 59 feet. Like this is so dumb. Not fair to the players and I get that baseball wants to test these things out, but like ideas that stupid first of all shouldn't even be tested out. And also to just put those players through that is incredibly unfair and I digress, but that is something that 
I'm just going to try to avoid talking about in the future until it continues to be floated as an idea, which I hope never, ever, ever happens. Talking about some of the other hitters as we look through some of the performances so far across the entire league. How about Jazz Chisholm and what he's been able to do for this Marlins team? A guy that really just won the job outright over Isan Diaz at second base for spring training, and he's a long-term shortstop in the future, and the Marlins are planning for him to be the shortstop, but the numbers that he has put up this year are insane. And as someone who watches a lot of Chisholm and has watched a lot of Chisholm, he has made some tangible adjustments at the plate. A guy that used to just absolutely swing out of his shoes and have a really steep swing has now focused on just barreling baseballs up a lot more. And if you want to just see a microcosm of the entire improvement of his approach, go look up the home run that he hit off of Jacob deGrom, where he was just letting DeGrom supply the power and just focused on getting the barrel on it. He's such a good athlete. He's so twitchy and has such good bat speed that he's going to be able to hit his home runs, whether he swings out of his shoes or not. And the thing that he's also realizing, and I know I'm rehashing this a little bit as it's something I've discussed in the past a bit, but something else he's realizing is that he can impact the game in so many different ways beyond just hitting home runs. And while home runs are really fun and he talks about how much he likes to leave the yard, he also likes to steal bags. He's leading the way for rookies with four stolen bases. He likes to go try to take that extra base. And at the end of the day, nothing's more fun than getting on base. And if you're going to be a three true outcome guy, then you're not getting the most out of your game if you're Jazz Chisholm. And now we're seeing a ridiculous slash line that is probably somewhat unsustainable, but is also really encouraging. 320, 426, 600 slash line. That's a 1,026 OPS. But the most encouraging thing around Jazz right now is the strikeouts being cut down and the walk rate being just so much better than we've ever seen it. Nine walks and 50 at-bats is a great sign from Jazz, who is spoiling tough pitches, who's barreling baseballs up more frequently among the top in the league at barrel percentage as well, and just has been a great story in Miami, a team that is very, very stricken for offense right now and has been a huge help to the team. Also, how about Tyler Stevenson with Cincinnati? He is putting it together at the plate. And this is a guy that was really expected not to be this good of a hitter. I mean, he's hitting 370 so far this season. Small sample size, only 27 at-bats, but he looks so much better at the plate as well. It seems like the game has really slowed down for him a lot. His athleticism behind the dish is starting to shine through, and that's got to be a huge pickup for the Reds. Beyond just having him start to play well, Jonathan India, though he's tailed off a little bit after his ridiculous start, had a big home run the other day. He's not going to be a big OPS guy. I think India is always going to be in the 750 to 800 range, but he's going to play good defense, and he's just a tough guy to strike out and pretty consistent at the plate. He's going to keep getting more consistent, in my opinion. While he did get off to that great start, and while he did tail off, he's going to have that classic rookie arc because he was a little bit of a come-on-strong guy in spring training that didn't quite have as many at-bats as you'd like to see. I probably would have liked to see at least another half season of AA or another season in the minors before he gets called up but he had played so well that he earned that position there. So you're going to have to deal with a little bit of that roller coaster with guys like that. But super encouraged by what we've seen from the Reds rookies. Stevenson just doing a much better job at making more consistent contact, slowing the ball game down, and also being able to attack in the right counts. He's going to be able to hit for some more power than I think some may think, and he is a good all-around catcher. That should be a great compliment to Tucker Barnhart over there in Cincinnati. Do not sleep on that ball club. The Reds are pretty darn sneaky. 
One last bat I wanted to talk about heading into this season because this is a guy that I was very much expecting to hit the ground running again this year is Ryan Mountcastle. And Mountcastle has struggled, but I am not buying the struggles just yet, though there are some somewhat concerning figures around Mountcastle this season. His chase rate is way up. His whiff rate is up. He's swinging and missing through fastballs, which is not something he did last year. Last year, he demolished fastballs, hit 356 against the Heater last season, and also was great against the breaking ball. So far this season has not hit well. 171 batting average against the fastball, and he's seeing them a lot. The other issue for him, though, is that he's seeing more breaking balls than he saw last year, and he's struggling with them even more than he did last year. Last season, there was a little bit of concern around the sustainability of his numbers against the breaking ball, where he hit 327 against it last year, but he was swinging, missing, swinging and missing, excuse me, at 41% of the breaking balls he saw. That's always a sign of somebody that's not quite going to be able to put up those numbers the next year. I mean, to hit 327 against a pitch while also swinging and missing nearly half the time, something's got to give, and usually it's the batting average. We're seeing that give a little bit, and I think that is leading towards his struggles against the heater as well as he's getting caught in between quite a bit he's laid on the heater as he's somewhat sitting on the breaking ball he just seems a little bit mixed up at the plate right now it seems more approach dependent than his swing when it comes to rookies I think he has one of the more consistent swings in the game even at 6'4 230 great barrel control he's in the top 30 percent in barrel percentage, and he also is still putting up ridiculous exit velos. He's going to be just fine, but I do want to watch how he's able to adjust to the breaking ball moving forward because baseball is starting to catch on to the fact that Ryan Mountcastle does not like those as much, and he has been a fastball hitter throughout his career. So keep an eye on the breaking ball for Ryan Mountcastle moving forward and the effect that it's going to have on him being able to mash the fastballs, which is his bread and butter. I will definitely talk more about the offensive players across the the landscape of baseball and the rookies moving forward because there's a ton more guys I wanted to get to that I'll get to in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.